Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Verse 48, that can be found on page 954 in the Pew Bible. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. Good evening. Glad to see that you're here this evening. I hope it's been a great day for you, but even if it hadn't been all that great, here you are at church with the people of God and the Spirit present with us, so there's every reason for you to cheer up and have a good rest of the night. Jesus loves you. He died for you. He's prepared a place for you. So, yeah, there's bad stuff in the world, but the good of God outweighs it all, right? It's good to see you all here tonight. We're continuing our summer series and we have a guest speaker tonight that I just especially love, and I love all of our guest speakers, but John Hackett is a brother that I just got to know just in the past few years. We met at the Middle Tennessee Minister's Lunch in Nashville, which he and I usually attend every month, and uh, just uh, coincidentally, we just kind of sat across from each other the first time I met him and had a conversation, and he realized how awesome of a guy I am. I'm kidding. But I did recognize what an awesome guy he is. And as I've gotten to know him over the past couple of years, I just find out that uh, we've got so much in common. I think he is a very biblically balanced, faithful preacher of the gospel who loves the Lord, and I appreciate that very much. we got a lot of brethren that I love that are our brethren that are not balanced. And he is balanced, man, and that's just refreshing. Not enough of that. John holds a Bachelor of Arts in Communications from the University of South Alabama and a Master of Arts degree in Organizational Development with a Graduate Certificate in Conflict Resolution and Reconciliation from Abilene Christian University. That's a mouthful, right? That's cool. John has been blessed to speak for nonprofit, for-profit, educational, and religious organizations all over the world. He's worked with churches in Alabama, Ohio, Tennessee, Texas, Costa Rica, Greece, and Kenya. Currently, John is the pulpit minister for the Lomax Church of Christ in Hohenwald, where I was last week, a guest uh, speaker there. By the way, uh, what a great church. I'm real proud that we're sister churches with that church. And uh, just anyway, he continues to teach and serve organizations in the United States, Central America, Europe, and Africa. He serves as a member of the Board of Governors for the Technical College of Kenya Christian Industrial Training Institute and of the Institute of Practical Christian Ministry in Nairobi, Kenya. John and his wife, Rachel, have been married for 26 years and have two beautiful daughters, Emily Christine, who's 23 years old, and Catherine Grace, who's 19 years old. Emily lives and works in Foley, Alabama. Catherine attends Freed Hardman University, where she's pursuing a nursing degree. Catherine is a member of the FHU Girls Collegiate Volleyball Program. That's John Hackett. And he is our speaker tonight. I'm so excited to hear him and to have you hear him. So, John, come talk to us. That's what Mike is on. All right. Well, I am excited to be here. I appreciate 
Josh giving me that introduction. Uh, he said we met a couple years ago at the minister's meeting. And I got to say, he, he makes you want to come and, and learn about this church here. Because the very first thing he announced, I even talked to my congregation last week when he was with us, was I said, well, where do you preach? He goes, I preach at the great church, Laverne. And I said, the great church? Well, you're like, man, that's good. And every time I hear him say that, I just want to come and, and visit. And I'm going to tell you, I came, and y'all have already given me water. You know, make sure my mic doesn't go on while I'm in the bathroom. You know, it's like, y'all really taking care of me tonight. And so I really appreciate that. Uh, I am excited to be here, excited about the topic that I'll be talking about, putting Jesus first through our words and actions. Uh, I do want to send my greetings from the congregation at Lomax uh, in Hohenwald. I know I, it's funny because uh, I've been there almost a year now, and people ask me, well, where in the world is Hohenwall, Tennessee? Because it sounds like hole in the wall, and I say, you know, I thought the same thing when I was asked to come and, and preach there and, and to talk to them. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I've spent seven years at Gulf Shores, Alabama, as a minister at the Gulf Shores Church of Christ, and that was easy for people to know where that was. Wall, they're like, where in the world is that? I said, well, it's, uh, you know, you know where the elephant or orphanage or the elephant sanctuary is? That's where Hohenwall is. Uh, but we are glad to be here, and I, I do send my greetings from them as well, and, and uh, appreciate again this time. I want to talk about six positive principles for proper practice. When it comes to this topic tonight of putting Jesus first through our words and our actions. You know, there's nothing more damaging to the life of a Christian, to a church, to God's people, than being people who talk a lot but don't put up what we talk. You know what I mean? There's nothing worse than, than saying a lot of things but not in our actions not showing what we say. We can talk about being a church that's full of grace and truth all day long, but if we're not very gracious... If we don't hold to God's word, we don't have a lot of truth in us, guess what? It won't take long before the people around us figure that out. Uh, I, I hear all my life uh, as a Christian, well, that church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. And I used to say, amen, we are. We're full of a bunch of hypocrites. We're full of a bunch of liars and cheats. But I hope that we're trying to at least do better. That's the goal is we are all sinful. We all fall short. But the idea is, I want to be changing. I want to be somebody who's growing in my relationship. And, and I want to be somebody who doesn't just talk a good talk. But as the saying goes, do you, do you talk the talk and do you walk the walk? Right? Now, I don't know about you, but there have been many times in my life I have not always talked the talk and walked the walk. And nobody will point that out faster than your children. Right? Amen? Your children will catch you in lies. They'll catch you in inconsistencies in your life. And mine have been no different. There have been times when, when I have said things and, and taught them things only to do something that they'll call me on. And then you know what? Then you sound like your own parents because I find myself saying things my parents used to say. Listen, do as I say and not as I do. Right? You ever say that? Listen, I, don't, I know I, what I said and what I did, but you do as I say, don't do what I do. Well, any kid in the right mind sees right through the hypocrisy of that. 
And any person in our world today can see the hypocrisy of us to, to talk a good talk about living a Christian life, being what God wants us to be, and trying to be what, what we're supposed to be, and then not living that life. You know, that, that's what we have to be careful of. But let me tell you something. I, I want to focus on the pauses of tonight because we know that to be the case. But I am so glad that God is a good God to us. Amen? I'm so glad. I'm so glad that he is a wonderful God, a loving God. And I am really glad that he is a God of second chances. He's a God of second starts. And all of us, every one of us need that. We all need a second chance. We all need a third and a fourth and a fifth chance because we stumble, we fall, we need, we need hope, we need his grace, we need his mercy over and over and over again. And he is a God of new chance, and that's what I love about the God that I serve. And I hope that's what you see and you love about him because our lives really get bogged down. Our lives get messed up. We do things we ought not to do. We've done things we ought not have done. We say things that we wish we hadn't said. You ever said something you wish you could have taken it back? Anybody married in here? Yeah. Yeah. You ever said something and as it's leaving your mouth, you're like, no. And it's out there. I'm sorry. I, I, and you just, and you see that look from your spouse, you go, I know, <laughs> doghouse, I'm seeing, I'm going. We all say things that we wish we hadn't said. I remember saying things I wish I hadn't said to my parents. There, there are things that I said that were very mean and cruel when I was growing up, especially as a teenager. You know, I said stupid things that uh, I probably shouldn't have said because it even got in more trouble, like when my father one time was trying to spank me as a child, and I was running and, you know, doing the circle dances. He's trying to spank me. I'm running. He's, he's trying to swap me. And he finally says, John, if you hold still, it won't hurt as much. Well, I held still, and he spanked me. And I looked up and said, Dad, you're right. It doesn't hurt as much. <laughs> what was I thinking? You know, you, <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. I wish I could just act like it hurt. Oh, yeah, oh, it hurt. You know, it, we say things all the time. We mess up. We do things that we shouldn't do. And we look at our lives and we say, God, I've messed it up. God, take this old life. Can you take this and with the blood of your son, can you wash me? And can you make me white as snow again? Can you make me whole again? Cleanse me and make me whole. I thank God. We have a wonderful master who did this. And I'm convinced that, that all of us in our lives, we want to do better. We want to be people who, who don't just talk the talk, but we walk the walk. We, we show Christ in our words and our actions. But, but many have just had a hard time knowing how to do better. And so tonight, the six positive principles for proper practice I want us to think about. In the, in the verse we read earlier, John 12, 48, he says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last days. We know we're going to be judged by the actions that we take and by the words that we use. We'll be judged uh, by his book. And when the Bible says, this is the way 
to do a thing or, or this is right, then it's right. Amen. But have you ever noticed in life that however, there are certain times, there are certain areas where the Bible just does not directly say something is right or wrong? What do we do then? See, we've got to understand the Bible is, is not a rule book, but rather it's a guide book. Therefore, we have to, to change our thinking, and it's to guide us by our principles. That way we, we can know what God wants from us. Because if the Bible had been a rule book, brothers, it, would take, uh, it would take a fleet of 18-wheelers to tote that book in for us to carry that around, to say every rule in our life. So instead, when we read the Bible, we see that it's been written uh, out in rules. It is written in principles. See, rules can be limited by time and place. Thou shalt not go to an X-rated movie. Thou shalt not drive through a school zone at 80 miles per hour. Right? Principles apply at all times. It is our responsibility to look at God's principles and decide between right and wrong. And so the first principle I want us to think about tonight is, as we think about putting Jesus first in our words and action, is the principle that we need to see is, is the principle of expediency. See, 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. When you think about that word expedient, it, it means to one's profit, for one's advantage. So when Paul is saying this, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12? Well, he says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. Right? Not all things are helpful. Does he mean that, that he can do anything he wants to do? Is that what he's saying? Well, I, as long as I'm a Christian, I can do and say anything I want to do or say. No, that's not what he's saying. We know that. So we need to look at the background in which he is writing the context of this. See, Paul is saying, we are no longer under the law. Whose law? He's talking about the law of Moses. We're not under that law. But even though some things are permissible, you know, some things are okay, he's saying he will not be mastered by that freedom. He's not going to take advantage of his freedom in Christ. Just say, well, I can do whatever because Christ's blood cleanses me continually. See, he's going to, he's going to be operating by the law of expediency. And that's what we need to learn. Paul is saying, I'm not going to let anything deter me in my journey. I'm not going to let anything deter me in my expedition of being what God wants me to be. And that needs to be our mindset, folks. Our mindset does not need to be about loophole Christianity. You know what loophole Christianity is, right? Well, how, how much can I say and do just to kind of go to the edge where I, where I don't quite break uh, the commandment of God or I don't quite disobey God or, or I can find a way of, well, I know the Bible says it, but what if I just kind of squeeze my... Why do we always try to look around ways to do what God wants in our life? And so Paul says, what's expedient for me is to do what is best for my journey, my expedition. Brothers and sisters, we are all on a journey in this life. We are all on the journey from birth to eternity. 
between birth and eternity, there's a lot of decisions that we have to make in our life, isn't there? And we have to decide with each, will this help me? Will this help me on my journey with Christ, or is it going to hinder my journey? Is this going to help me mature as a Christian? Is this going to help me grow as a Christian, or is it going to hold me back? See, that's the law of expediency. Is it going to help, or is it going to hurt me? You know, think about it. There's nothing wrong with a 100-pound dumbbell, is there? No, nothing wrong with it. But if I'm running a 100-yard dash, I don't want to carry it with me. Do you? It might not look like it now, but I used to run track and used to be a sprinter. I used to run the 100-yard dash. I remember our coach would make me put these ankle weights on and these, west, these vest weights and run, and they were miserable. And that's how I trained. But when you get ready to actually run the race, you throw all that stuff off. You don't want to carry that extra weight. You, you want to let it go. And so there's nothing wrong with the weight, but you don't want to carry it on your journey. Yet how many of us are running every day carrying all this extra weight? We're running to their goal. You're running to your goal and you're carrying all the kinds of dead weight that you're letting hold you back in your life or that you're hanging on to. And you need to get rid of that dead weight. It's not expedient for you. And, and, and ask, does this help me in achieving my goal as a Christian? There are things in our lives that are just a waste of time. They're just things that waste our time. And they waste our efforts. And they're not bad things in themselves, are they? But how much time do we waste on watching television or spend on our social media and the internet reading a good book. Say, so, well, hey, I like it. Yeah, but is that all you do is just read and you waste your time? How about playing sports? How about in our relationships? We waste a lot of time in our relationships or, or our hobbies. And we go on and on, and you say, well, that, what's wrong with us? He says, well, nothing's wrong with them, but are they really helping you in your journey? Have they become more of your fixation than Christ has? Have they become more of your, your attention-grabbing first in your, in your life than what God has become in your life? Have they become expedient to helping you with your eternal life? And folks, the world's watching. They say, I know what you say you are, but by your actions and by your habits and by the things that you do and the things, the, the, the interest that you put in your life, you don't show that. So we're going to be careful of that. Second principle is the principle of enslavement. And we go back to the same verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful, Paul says. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. What Paul is saying is, I've got this principle, and that principle is this principle of enslavement. I'm not going to be enslaved by anything of this world. Anything's going to hold me back from being what God wants me to be and, and putting my words and my actions in place, I'm not going to let that enslave me. Even the freedoms that I have, I'm going to master them. They're not going to master me. See, Christ not only gave us goals, but he also gives us freedom. John 8, verse 36 says, Therefore the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. 
See, some might say, uh, this is the age of freedom we have. We have all this freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, freedom of love, uh, sexual freedoms of all kind. And you look around our world today and all the, the freedoms they're giving themselves. And yet, many who talk about freedoms, well, they're really just slaves to the very things they're calling freedom. And we, need to, we need to be careful of that. They talk about freedom, but freedom to this or that, while all the time they're enslaved to those very things. And Jesus Christ, he did not come to this world. He didn't live here on this earth, and he didn't die on the cross to give you permission to do whatever you want. That's not what he did it for. Christ gave us freedom. Freedom not to do anything we want to do, but free not to do anything you want to do. Free to do what we need to do. There's a big difference. He gave us freedom to do what we need to do. He gives us the power and ability to say no to certain things. And we need to use our freedom to say no to self, not to sin, to say no to, to the sin of the world, and we need to say yes to Jesus Christ. See, it's easy for us to get entangled in all kind of things that we have around us. It's easy for us to get distracted by the things of this world, the things that can be good, but, but boy, Satan sure can use them for the bad. Some are enslaved to substance abuse, to alcohol, tobacco, caffeine. We're enslaved to these things. Some are enslaved to habits or appetites. We're enslaved to the music that we listen to, the social media that we, we're a part of, the activities that we do, the relationships that we have. We become enslaved to those things. And Paul said, I will not be enslaved to anything. And we need to have that same kind of spirit and heart in our words and actions to say, I'm not going to do that either. The third thing is the principle of example. The principle of example. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 8, chapter 8, verse 8 says, Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. See, the church at Corinth, it was a pagan city. You know, recently I just got back uh, about two weeks ago from being in a workshop in, in Athens, Greece. Actually, we were outside of Corinth. And we got to go to the city of Corinth. I've been there several times, but we took our group to Corinth. We walk around in this city where Paul is at. And one of the things you, you first learned when you got city was this was a pagan city. You had the, the ruins of the temples all around. Apollo's temples over here. And then you had the, the, uh, the Acro-Corinth hill that sits off uh, behind the ancient city. And on the top of that hill was a temple to the goddess of Aphrodite, goddess of sex, where prostitutes lived up there and were, and were hired to stay up there. So people would come from all around as a port city. People from both sides, these men would come to that city just so they could go up to, to be with the prostitutes in that temple. It was a pagan city. And Paul says, look, all these sacrifices that are being offered to these pagan gods, as they sacrifice these animals and this meat, and, and food's being offered to these pagan gods, and yet for Christians, 
the, the, the mature Christians, they knew, well, that, that God, that means nothing to me. And so they saw some of that as saying, you know what, what, what do they do with that meat after they sacrifice it? Well, they sell it for cheap. So you had some Christians saying, you know what, I can go over here and buy some cheap meat for my family and feed my family. And I don't, there's nothing wrong with that because I'm not taking part in that, that kind of activity. And Paul's saying, hey, there is nothing wrong except for you have these younger Christians over here that are new to the faith. And when they see you going over and, and buying that food and participating with, with the people that they've come to know as being pagan gods that you're not supposed to follow, what do they, they think? Well, oh, well, I guess we can partake of both worlds. And Paul says it's better you don't do that. You've got to set the example. And that's why in verse 9 through 13 he says, but take care. Listen, you mature Christians, you might know that there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but take care that your right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Their food makes my brother stumble. I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's saying, look, okay, so it might not be wrong, technically, but by you going over there, if you cause a weaker brother of yours to stumble, then you have sinned. Because your example has caused him to sin. And you're accountable for that. And Paul says, so if, if me never eating meat again will keep my brother from stumbling and keep him from sinning and myself from sinning and being a poor example, I will never eat meat again. It's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? You know what it does, though? It takes our, it takes our excuses away of saying, well, you know what? If they think that about me, that's their problem. I've heard, church, I've heard Christians say that in the church, haven't you? Well, I can't help what people think of it. If they, don't, if they think that way about me, then, then they've got the problem, not me. Well, that, that's a self-seeking statement, by the way. And what Paul says, no, you are responsible for your brothers and sisters in Christ and your example. And so a brother or sister sees you out somewhere doing something that is not wrong, but you've put yourself in a place or position that they go by and they see that. And it causes them to think bad about you or, or cause them to think, oh, well, I guess I can do that kind of activity too. And they're a weaker Christian and you cause them to stumble, you have sinned. So we've got to make sure our words and deeds are thought about very, very carefully. Amen. Our actions and our words mean something. And so our example is important. Romans 14, 13 says, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Now, I will say this, that 1 Corinthians text has been used in a lot of ways and misused in a lot of ways. I do want to say Paul was not saying that to say anything that you dislike, you can say, well, that's a stumbling block for me, therefore we shouldn't do it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying if your example 
cause the weaker brother to stumble by something you're doing in your life, then don't do it. So we don't need to misuse that scripture. But stumbling blocks are hindrances. And there's something we need to be, be very careful about. We need to always consider others in our words and our actions. We'll always consider what, what they mean. And we need to never do anything to discourage our brothers and sisters in Christ or to cause them to sin. Our example is the utmost importance and must not be sacrificed in the name of our own personal freedoms. See, knowledge, as the Bible says, puffs up. But love does what? Love builds up. We need to have love for our brothers and sisters in Christ to care more about them and less about what we want in our own personal freedoms. The fourth one is the principle of edification then. We need to be about edifying one another in our, our actions, our words, and our deeds. And what does that mean? What does edify mean? Well, it means just what I said a minute ago. It means to build up. Our lives, we are either building up or we're tearing down. That, that's what we're about. You are either building up people, you're either building up your own family, your children, your wife, your husband. You're either building up the church or you're tearing it down by the things you do. There is no middle in this, folks. You're either building up or tearing down. You're either either abiding by the law of Christ and the principles of Christ and building people up and loving people and living for him, or you're not. Or you're living for the world. If you're living for the world, you're just tearing things down. So the principle of edification is, I live to build up. I don't want to be a wrecker. I want to be a builder. Everything we do as Christians is either a positive Christian influence or has a negative Christian influence on those we are around. We must decide which way we want to live our life. Will I be a positive influence on others? Will I use my words in a positive way to build others up? Or use the kind of words that just kind of tear people apart and discourage them in the process? Folks, we've got to be careful about this, especially in the church. Because it can be so easy to be negative, to be condescending, to, to be that, that person who's constantly tearing people down. Well, they just need to be, you know, accept criticism. No. <laughs> you need to be loving in the way you approach people. You, you need to, to think about how you edify and build up people. Because every conversation... Every relationship and friendship, every joke that you tell, every television program that you watch or, or whatever uh, site that you come on uh, when you're scrolling through the internet, every book you read, every movie you attend must be put to the test. Does it edify or does it make a, a person better? Am I a stronger person for having done this or am I not? And several years ago, Real quickly, I'll tell you this story. I directed a camp for many years for a teen camp down in uh, Loosedale, Mississippi, called Gulf Coast Bible Camp. And one year we had some kids, and the rule at camp was you can't have music, CDs at that time, you know, uh, things, because we want you to focus on the week of camp. Well, one of my counselors came and said, hey, we got some boys that have a bunch of CDs, and during free time, they're listening to them, and they're not supposed to. 
and a couple of your, your boys. I was like, okay, tell them to come here. So they came, and I, I took them, and I looked, and they had all these CDs of explicit lyric CDs, things with vulgar language and stuff, and I thought, guys, first of all, you're not supposed to have this in the first place. Second of all, this is not the kind of stuff you should be listening to. And, and instead of really jumping them, I said, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. This is, a, this is like a Monday. I said, if you can stay at this camp for the whole week, I'm going to take these from you. If you can stay at this camp the whole week and not be changed in your heart after listening to what you're going to be a part of listening and, and, and being around this, these Christian counselor stuff, you can come back in the week. I'll just give these back to you. No questions asked. Of course, I was going to tell their parents about it. I said, but if you're changed, Friday night at the bonfire, we'll burn these things. How about that? Okay. They, they went on their way, and it was Wednesday night. We're at the bonfire, and they come right up, and they're crying. John, we want to burn those CDs tonight. I said, tonight? He said, yeah, we want to burn those CDs tonight. We realize God does not want me to listen. It does not build us up. We want to get rid of them. I, I felt like the greatest youth minister ever. Yes! What wisdom I have. I'm so good. So I said, all right, tonight you guys are going to stand up and you're going to make a presentation. I was just so happy about it. They come and they, they get up to the camp and they tell the whole camp, we're burning these CDs. They start throwing those CDs in the fire. Long story short, I see one kid go this way, one kid go this way. They start bringing back their CDs. I'm thinking, how many CDs do we have at this camp? They've been hiding them. These kids are burning CDs. We have now become, a, not a book burner, but a CD burning camp. We're burning, and, I'm, and of course, one of my counselors goes, do you realize how much money we're burning tonight? I was like, don't talk about it. Don't talk about it, you know. All of a sudden, some girls start coming back, and they've got books. These romance novels are not good. They're, they don't edify the spirit. And they're, they're, they're burning their books. And I'm like, God. This is so wonderful. Thank you, God. What, a, what an awesome director I am that I've had this wonderful success with these people, right? No, he humbles you. Trust me. And then I feel this tug on my jacket. My younger girls, and I'm thinking, you too? You're like the sweetest girl in our youth group. And she goes, can I burn my CDs? I said, well, sure. What do you want to burn? She goes, well, I've got Jimmy Buffett here and Leonard Skinner. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, wait a second. Let's not be so hasty here. Well, why are you burning those? Well, you know, he uses some bad language in some of his songs. And, and this one, I'm thinking, let me go to the church van real quick. <laughs> I go get my CDs. And I'm burning CDs of mine. I'm thinking, okay, God, you humbled me. I tell you, honesty of children will, will, will do that to you, won't it? And, and, and I say all that say is, Sometimes we, we like to think the big picture, say, well, that doesn't edify, that's a big thing. We need to get rid of that in our life. And we, we neglect the smaller things that we don't think are so big until it hits you in the face. I had, to, I had to be humbled myself and say, there are some things I had to change about my life before I could sin and go, what a great youth minister. No, I have stuff in my life that was not edifying. And in that moment, I was taught by this little seventh grade girl but I need to look at myself more closely. Amen. And I burned those CDs. Now I'm not telling you to go out and burn a bunch of CDs, but I am telling you we need to think about our actions and what we do. Amen. The principle of edification is very important. Then there's the principle of exaltation. And for time, I'll go through these last two fairly quickly. The principle of exaltation. 
when you think about exaltation, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Every action, every word we should do to the glory of God. That should be our biggest focus. Does it glorify God? If it doesn't, then I don't need to do it. I need to really make that my goal. And, and, and guys, it is a hard goal to make because the world is so full of so many distractions and evil and, and obstacles that it's hard to look at things and, and think that way of I need to be about giving God the glory. But Paul says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. I need to praise God for everything he does for me. Every good thing, every bad thing, every trial, every temptation. I need to go, God, thank you for giving me this opportunity to prove myself to you. Thank you for your glory. Thank you for being, uh, even in those times that are trying, you give me a way out. You show me your goodness in everything that you do. God, I give you the glory and I give you the praise and I want to exalt you. That's what we need to be about. And finally, there's the principle of evangelism. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 32, 33 says, Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Paul is saying, I don't want to do anything that would offend anybody that would keep them from coming to Jesus Christ. So would this conduct hinder me in teaching someone about Jesus Christ? If I have a certain conduct, if I act one way at work than I do at church, if I act one way when I'm at school, if I act a certain way, is it going to hinder somebody from getting to know Jesus Christ because they look at me and, and then I say, hey, by the way, why don't you come to church with me? You go to church? You act like that, you, you tell the, the same kind of dirty jokes we tell in the break room. Uh, you use the same kind of language that, that we use, and, and you're trying to tell me about God? What's with that? How's my conduct? Does, does it hinder my ability to evangelize to somebody, to, to help change somebody's life? And if it would, then I have no right to do it. My conduct as a Christian cannot be so offensive that people do not want to listen to me tell them about Jesus Christ. Posting, listen to me folks, posting divisive opinionated posts on social media doesn't change anybody's mind. And yet I see our brothers and sisters in Christ do it all the time. They get into to nonsense arguments, senseless and meaningless arguments through text about things that don't really don't really have a cause for Christ. Condemning others' beliefs has closed so many doors to evangelism. Now, I'm not talking about compromising the truth. I'm talking about to, to dogging people or to, or to be so abrasive and harsh towards people that you turn them off before you even open a door. We've got to rethink how we do things to be evangelistic. What I am saying is that when you stand for right, you had better do it with the spirit of Jesus Christ, with a spirit of gentleness and meekness and love in your heart for lost people. Be loving and preach the truth in love. As men and women of the church, we are to be gentle. 
this must never become outdated among us. We need to talk to people about our Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be careful that we don't turn them away because our own behavior, our own speech, and our own dress is not appropriate or, or does not uh, go against what we're trying to do as evangelists for Christ. We need to be cautious about our actions and our speech so that we can win others to Jesus Christ. Close the night. I hope that you will help start off a movement within the church to say we are going to be people who truly want to glorify God in everything that we do. Because we don't earn, you don't earn your salvation by doing things on a list. That's not the way you become a child of God. You become a child of God by getting into Jesus Christ. By being like Christ. And you get into Christ because of the mercy and the grace that he has given you. And because you responded in faith to do what the Lord asked you to do. Brothers and sisters, we believe in Jesus Christ. We repented of our sins. We confess our faith to him, and we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our sins were washed away in the blood of Jesus Christ. And our name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so many start off saying, I, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. When in reality, what we need to do is turn over a new life. And it begins by coming to Jesus, to truly being born again. Or to come and ask him to forgive you of your sins because you, you, were, you were born into Christ, but you haven't been living the way he wants you to live. So as we close tonight, I offer this invitation to you. Be in Christ. Live in Christ. To die in Christ and to go home with him in glory is what we need to do. If there's any of you tonight that need to respond to this, maybe you've never given your life to Christ, then you need to do that. You need to repent of your sins to, to change your mindset. To say, I'm going to change because I, I realize that I've done something that's gone against God and I want to change that. And I want to repent and turn away from that. And I want to give my life to Christ, be baptized for the remission of my sins, to be added to the church, to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Maybe tonight that's what some of you need to do. Maybe for many others, we just need to say, you know what? I have not lived the life that I should be living. And my actions and my words have not matched up, and I want to change that tonight. And I want to repent and ask God to forgive me. Maybe you need the prayers of the church. Whatever the need is tonight, I know the church here would be glad to pray with you, and they'd, they'd be glad to, to welcome you to the family. If you need to come, do it now as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.